0: Hello, and welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. This is your host, John Landis. So happy you can join us. Tonight we are going to enjoy something a little bit different, something that combines uh, information and music. Um, I had the privilege to work with uh, Rafael uh, Alvarez the other day and interview two very interesting people in the music business um, Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris, longtime friends, both of whom have been in the music business for decades. Ashley is a music journalist, and he has written several books, really interesting books, which we'll hear about during the interview. And uh, we'll also sprinkle in some music to go along with uh, the subjects we're talking about. Joel Chris, his longtime buddy, is uh, a member of the Jam Session board and uh, a resident of the East End and a also a long time music business person and Joel's field has been uh, uh, acting as an agent for various musicians and brokering uh, deals between them and, and venues and uh, other organizations to allow musicians to play and make a living and he's done a great job of doing that And he's also been involved in various music festivals so we'll talk about those as well this is going to be uh, the first of two parts and as i say we're going to have a combination of music and interviews and uh, I think you'll learn a lot about both, so I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to stand back and let, uh, let this thing go forward. And uh, I'll talk to you in a bit. So let's start with the interview of Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris on the Jam Session Radio Hour on WLIW FM 88.3 Southampton. Thank you. We're pleased to be able to have a, a conversation today with a couple guys, friends, who have been in uh, the music business for a long time. So um, I think we're very lucky to be able to share some of the information, some of the stories that they have. So we have Ashley Kahn, who is a a music writer and uh, has been throughout his career. And he's um, focused on um, various different genres of music um, and will let us know that. And he is close friends with Joel Chris, who we're happy to say is a board member of the Jam Session, which produces the Jam Session Radio Hour. And has uh, come to us in the last year or so, and brought a lot of his knowledge about music and jazz, and connections with great musicians, and we've benefited from that. So, what uh, what we'd like to do today is just kind of have a free-form conversation about what both of these gentlemen have done in the music business, um, and how their careers formed, and 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 how they relate to the music that they've that they've um, Uh, they've been able to study and and be a part of. Ashley has, um, just quickly, I'll give you a bit of intro in terms of what he's done, but he's he's done some phenomenally uh, well-researched and well-written books on John Coltrane, on Miles Davis, uh, more, more recently on Carlos Santana, and most recently on George Harrison. So you can see right there in that kind of thumbnail sketch the kinds of things that he has done. And I, I'd like to turn it over to you a little bit, Ashley, and just let you talk about how your career has formed, how you got into it. Uh, maybe you and Joel can talk about how you guys uh, met and worked together. Um, so go ahead
1: thank you john it's a pleasure to be here and uh be on jam session, and especially with my buddy joel uh, as you as you point out yes i'm a music historian i wasn't always though I, I there was a big juncture in my uh career when I was uh involved with concert production and tour management, and worked with Paul Simon during the graceland years uh tour managed uh jazz and South African acts uh for a good like twelve year run. You know, and I always wanted to be close to the action, you know, where the concerts were happening. And that sort of pulled me away from the idea of writing about music. And I've never really considered myself a critic. I'm much more of uh, a celebrant, you know, and uh, someone who um, uh, found a niche as far as, you know, connecting with the history of the music and the stories behind the music and finding out a way to um, uh, translate this into book form over the years and that's my the most recent kind of uh, path that I've been on uh, Joel and I, Joel Chris and I, have known each other uh, uh, since the '80s, you know, uh, and it and it uh, because we were dealing a lot with the live music industry, that that part of the uh, uh, side of things. So, Joel, thank you for the invitation to come out here to uh, you know East Hampton and to be part of this moment.
2: You're welcome, and thanks for coming. And uh, it's always fun to hang with you. And to listen to your stories, because I tell my own stories a little too often, so it's good to hear them from another perspective.
1: Yeah, we get tired of our own
2: stories after a while, don't we? (laughs) They become fiction after a while. But tell Uh, us
0: a bit of your story, Joel.
2: I was in the, the publishing world. I started in the publishing world, and I was always interested in jazz journalism, but I ended up working for trade magazines back in the early 80s, late 70s, when I, after I graduated college. And um, four or five years of being in publishing, I figured out a way to get into the uh, music business, which is an, all these stories have so many tangents yeah. that we could spend the whole hour uh, yeah. talking about our, our own journey through the music It was business.
1: really just an excuse to get close to our heroes.
2: That's right. <laughs> And, uh, and and we were doing that before we had a nickel to make from it or thought yeah. about it as a career. I was hanging out with Sonny Stitt and Dexter Gordon and Art Pepper. And, uh, McCoy Tyner. McCoy, McCoy and Dizzy. And then, so they all, a lot of these cats knew me when I started uh, a business in the in the jazz world. And that gave me credibility because they knew I was there before there was any business involved right um so i worked for an agent in the early mid 80s and then started my own company chris and company as a booking agency and a management company in the 86 87 and represented some of the legendary musicians discovered a lot of younger people through the bands that i was uh that got me into the business in the first place, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, uh, was an important guy to me to kind of show me the way. And then his musicians in that band, Terrence Blanchard and Donald Harrison and, Pete, and Bobby Watson, people came through that band, became friends of mine, and kind of uh, uh, was a, a jumping-off point. Um, and I, so I began to represent... Legendary musicians and and discovering new talent, uh, who were looking for agents or or I thought could use an agent, and then uh, thirty five years passed. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: and and here we are now.
0: <laughs> here we are now.
1: You know, I I, I would say that you know, uh, the, there comes a time when uh, you know you you finish school and you're you got to start out in life. And music kind of just takes you away. You know, I know that's um, even though I could have been this, I could have been a lawyer, I could have gone to med school, I could have done whatever, that my career uh, uh, decision making was absolutely, totally overshadowed by my passion for music. And so the uh, idea of writing about music was more because of my passion for music than my passion for writing. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy to say that, you know, even from the start, I noticed that I had a certain ability that I could craft a good review or a good interview or a good feature article. Um, And the, the, you know, the doorway isn't that hard to get through if you want to go into music journalism, even today. And, of course, today we, with the pandemic and lockdown, it's, it's a different thing. But, you know, when live music comes back, there will be another generation of young music enthusiasts who find that, you know, if I say that I'm going to write about this artist or, you know, somehow share this passion that I have in a written form or, or a radio show. Or, or some sort of, you know, blog, you know, or videos on YouTube or whatever, you know, is the uh, the format at that point. It's a doorway and entry into a world that seems so magical and like, you know, all of a sudden then it kind of swallows you up and you become part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that I think is what happened to both myself and Joel.
2: Yeah, because I, I would see people who are on the inside of the industry when I was a teenager and I was always wondering how they got uh, to know all these people, how they got them to the clubs for free, how they got uh, tons and tons of LPs and then CDs.
1: And why Elvin Jones goes up to them and gives them a big hug right after the show. <laughs> right, yeah.
2: How they got the affection of the jazz musicians, yeah. how they felt like they were included. And I felt that's something... I, I want to be, be there. Yeah, I want to be included in that as well. <laughs> and I remember some of those people, probably not their names, but I remember nights hanging out at the club as a 16, 17 year old, sneaking yeah. in or, or yeah. you know, getting in for half price. I think or it must be
0: something about, I mean, I'm thinking about it as you guys are talking about this what is it about music per se and then its relationship with business, because there has to be business related to it so that we can all hear and experience this. What is it about music? Per se, as opposed to other industries that makes that that engenders this kind of passion, both on the music side and on the business side, because you guys are on the business side or on the writing side, obviously, which is which is a, a related art. But you seem to share the same passion that that the musicians do.
1: I'll tell you at this point, I don't see any distinction between one side and the other. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but uh, I'm going to just interrupt and say that, you know, that kind of thinking is not. Uh, what what I th- you know at a certain point you realize that there needs to be an organizational structure in order for these musicians who you love and and, and and respect and revere they also have this need to put food on the table they have lives that they need to lead, and that organizational structure that we call the music business has to be there you know it 's not a distinct part of music. For the music to survive, you know, it it it, it has to have it, it can't just just happen. And 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 that is one of I think of the earliest uh ideas that I kind of embraced was that, you know, there was a lot of feeling about like the recording industry being the evil empire, but necessary to create you know, these recordings that, you know, people who couldn't make it to the clubs because they didn't happen to live in the right place or they were too young or they just didn't have access, they couldn't, could get to the recordings. But the idea that recording companies are the evil empire is so pervasive. And I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, incredible, there's a, a legacy of exploitation out there, for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, that is there needs to be an organizational structure that supports the music that records the music that you know conveys the music out into the world and well i
0: think actually you know, that actually i i think i'm saying i'm asking something that's slightly different and i think i'm recognizing that the passion that the musicians have which as you say once you once you felt once you saw that life once you were that was revealed to you that's what you wanted to do Similar to a musician in his, yeah. his or her career. Once they, you know, like Carlos Santana, I began, you yeah. know, I began, uh, you know, and he, he, is, he comes from musicians. His father was a musician. Yeah. I, and of note, you know, and, and, he, and he got that passion. And then away he went. Yeah. He wasn't about to consider some other trade or career. Right. right. And, uh, you know, and so I think what I'm saying is that you, for instance, embellish some of the same characteristics as a writer. <laughs> And covering yeah, the field that's a good point. Because it swept you up. Yeah. That's the point I'm yeah, trying to make. I yeah. think there's something about live music and music yeah. that makes it so yeah. that it's like two sides of the same coin.
1: Yeah. I mean it you you, 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 you become part of the circle. You know, and you don't necessarily have to be on stage or have an instrument in your, in your fingers, or you know that you're blowing through something, but that you actually are involved as, uh, and you become this important part of the community. You know, you're, uh,
0: you know, it's like we're those of us who are kind of doing this. We're like the ultimate audience members in some ways. I mean, we we're we're members of the troupe,
1: right? Well, And, 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 and we're all. You know, I guess what I'm saying is that it comes to the point where you kind of transcend these ideas of, you know, separation. band versus audience yes. or uh, music versus business and stuff like that. Once you transcend all of that and you just realize it's all part of the circle and, you know, you get past that this versus that kind of Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this because you
0: know, to me, just getting uh, aware of what you have done and what you've chosen to write about in the music f- field... And I and and also knowing Joel and his passion for live music and for jazz uh, also, is that is that it's been revealed to me that there is a a recognition on your part of the spiritual nature of all of this and and the reverence that musicians have and so you've chosen to do you know Miles and that and and his career and and, and then really focused on kind of blue. So, let's talk about that a little bit and then and then um happy to with coltrane and, to. Yeah. and 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 the spiritual nature of his music, and then on to Carlos Santana, yeah. whose book is called what is uh, the Universal, Universal Tone. Tone." And so, as he does his intro, which I was listening to this morning, that's what he was all about, yeah, the universality of what he was doing and what music was, and now George Harrison,
1: yeah yeah. Uh, well, thank you for pointing that out. I mean, you know, I've been very, very blessed to be able to connect on a number of projects with um, some incredibly creative forces who are, are very aware of and involved with that, uh, the spiritual kind of purpose of music. You know, the idea that music is this conveying force of spiritual connection. Is probably the best way of uh, summing it up for a John Coltrane and an Alice Coltrane, a George Harrison and a Carlos Santana, who are probably um, of all the figures coming out of the '60s, when there was a lot of spiritual kind of empathy and spiritual exploration going on. They they were the most enduring. I think of the that that connection between music and spirituality coming out of a generation when everyone had a guru or a swami yeah. for a minute, you know. But for them, it was this lifelong dedication to the idea that um, uh, a spiritual connection, you know, is one of the most important aspects of uh, why we're here on the planet. And the idea of not looking at the planet in an us versus them, you know, manner of divisiveness, which seems to be uh, pervading, you know, uh, our reality right now. But that, uh, you know, and music is the perfect kind of uh, delivery system for this message of this spiritual connection. I mean, you know, um, John Coltrane's most... Uh, uh, best known recording and most important recording to him, obviously, was A Love Supreme.
0: You're listening to WLIW-FM 88.3 in New York, Long Island's only NPR station. Um, this is John Landis with the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we're interviewing Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris tonight. So let's get back to the interview. Is, have you been conscious of this as a thematic, as, as a theme of what you have chosen to write about? Because you chose to write about A Love Supreme, and you chose to write about uh, Kind of Blue, and you chose to write about Carlos in a universal tone. Is, is this... How how did that path, you know, was it a meandering path or was it something that was thematic in in your approach? I think
1: Joel will back me up on this is that, you know, once you start into the music world and especially with jazz musicians coming out of the 60s and 70s, you hear quite often that, you know, musicians will say "Um, the spirit flows through me. I am not the star here you know i am basically reaching up into the heavens and i'm like a divine uh, uh um uh kind of uh uh you rod. know a rod divining rod you know that through which the spiritual energy mm-hmm. flows i'm a conduit mm-hmm. you know and you know you hear this again and again and it 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 sort of you go okay well that's you know, is this showbiz humility, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Is it mm-hmm. is it just that, that sort of stage pattern that you mm-hmm. would expect to mm-hmm. hear from, that musicians like to share? But after a while, you know, and then when you're touring and you're working with the musicians and then you become part of the music circle, you realize, no, 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 this is sincere, this is deep. And there are many musicians out there who speak about what they do the why of music making on the spiritual level again and again and again. And then you hear older musicians talking to younger mus- musicians delivering this idea to them and saying, okay, young blood, you know, mm-hmm. why are you here? You know, don't worry about the cut of your trousers on stage. Be be focused on the people, you know. See who you're, you know, d- uh, you know look at who you're playing for connect with them speak to them you know art blakey you know would love to say you know tell your story mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. when when uh one of the uh messengers would be uh, uh, soloing and then after a while you know uh, uh you you start to absorb this and you realize oh Yes, that incredible feeling and passion that I have for the music and that place it delivers me to, that's not just, you know, uh, uh, star worship or, or having a good night. That's actually a very special spiritual place where everybody connects. And whether it's in a jazz club or at a rock concert or, you know, a a really great YouTube video and you're in your bedroom alone and whatnot, that this special moment is about that human connection and that um, you have to revere it, you have to respect it, you have to protect it. You know, Mm -hmm. and that suddenly you realize, oh, my God, you know, I am part of this mission as well. And if people can realize and stop talking for a little while and use their ears and think, the world's going to be a better place. It's not just a quaint idea that listening to music delivers you to a place where racism falls away or that, uh, you know, the contrariness and divisiveness of current politics happens
0: Joel do you think there's that uh, there's something about jazz in particular that um, that reflects or engenders and maybe the you know the in- improvisational invitation that that jazz you know a lot of jazz is yeah. built around that uh, therefore this kind of uh, the the spiritual or you know the, the nature that we're talking about may reside more there than in other genres I don't think it re- resides there.
2: Uh, in any way that you, you can say uh, that it relies there rather than other kinds of music. 've like mm-hmm. Beethoven and mm-hmm. Bach mm-hmm. and all the great composers, classical composers and other great... Kendrick composers. Lamar. Yeah. yeah. At, at, uh, um, Indian music, all kinds of ethnic music mm-hmm. um, has a spiritual quality that those people can tap into because right. music is a cultural uh, touchstone. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, in many ways, uh, I was raised in a very uh, reformed Jewish uh, home, but the, the the spirituality of religion never really reached me even though it was preached on a a liberal level. But um, I I think if you have the passion for creativity and and, uh, working with artists or being an an artist yourself, um, you don't need the power that religion brings into your life. Yeah. Because what you're dealing with is the actual creative force, Mm -hmm. which is in one can describe that as a god force if you're talking about it through a biblical prism but if you're talking about it through culture and um spiritual journeys music mu- music is as good a place to experience that as any other uh endeavor that i've ever i been want to involved talk a little in. bit
0: about the uh, and this relates to that to the, the about the Steinhardt School, mm-hmm. um, and the reason I want to uh, uh, first of all, I, you're a member of the faculty, right, uh, Ashley at Steinhardt?
1: I'm at NYU Tisch. NYU Steinhardt is
0: another school, okay. But the but jazz program NYU. is housed in
1: Steinhardt. Right. I'm at the uh, Clive Davis uh, Institute for cool. Recorded Music. So,
0: and the reason I bring that up is I was uh, there are a series of interviews, and those of you who are listening, you can tap into these on on YouTube, and we're going to be carrying some as well uh, from NYU through the Steinhardt School, put together by Dave Schroeder and other of his colleagues there. And I was listening to one this morning and I was just kind of going arbitrarily through in preparation for our discussion today. And I came upon John McLaughlin's. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and I just jotted a couple things down that he said that I think it's apropos to what we're talking about. One of the things that he said is figuring out, he said that finding your way in music is hard. And he talked about improvising. And he said, um, he said when you improvise, um uh all that we can speak about is dot 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 kind of the story of ourselves. We're putting ourselves out there the story of our lives. And I think it relates to what we're saying is 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 finding your have you would you say that finding your way in music maybe both for you guys but for musicians as well from what you've seen and all the musicians you've known is a hard thing to do.
1: Yeah, well,
2: Joel, uh, I um it's hard if you have something to compare it to. I, have, I don't, don't have a lot to compare it to because there was a time when I was 17 or 18 years old that
0: it was the only door that I wanted to walk through. Right. Um, but in some ways, you were lucky because of that. I mean, you were fortunate at 17 yeah, or 18 to, have, to recognize a passion.
2: Yeah, because growing up uh, with the music of the 60s, I fell in love with rock and roll at a, you know, when I was six or seven years old, top 40 stations and then uh, W, the radio stations, the album-oriented rock stations. Um, and when I heard The Power at 15 or 16, I didn't know what to call it. I didn't have the vocabulary uh, to really name it. But the the music of, obviously, the Stones, the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, but all, I got into branches of that tree uh, that became Crosby, Stills, and Nash, uh, and and Neil Young, and Buffalo Springfield. If you follow all those names back, and you get to their inception, and then you follow them into the future, you develop a whole... um, tree with branches that keep on growing. Mm-hmm. And I always yeah. wanted to see where that tree grew. So after listening to rock and roll from 10, 12, all the way until uh, high school and college, I wanted to know what was beyond that. So I think jazz is is a mo- perhaps musically, not culturally, but musically, a, a more advanced musical understanding of how to put notes tones rhythm together it's it's a more complicated structure and emotion and and with that comes maturity of emotion yeah exactly then And like that, with
0: miles yeah with kind of with kind of blue and just the, the scratching the surface of trying to understand some of this yeah. they talk about the simplicity of that modal Approach, right? That he used with Kind of Blue. Can you talk about that for a second? Well,
1: you know, I mean, the writing a whole book on one album had not really been done yet. Right. You know, this was in 1999, and um, so the, and there was a, 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 there was sort of a season of specificity that had come out with a, a whole bunch of books at that time. The history of indigo, of of blue. Mm-hmm. The history of the blue dye and mm-hmm. how important that was, of salt, and yeah. the role of salt yeah. in 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 human progress. And so there was this interesting moment, and I did a I decided to. Uh, and there had been a book on strange fruit, the Billie Holiday tune, uh, only about 120, 150 pages, um, and um, uh, I came up with the idea after writing a New York Times article. Sunday New York Times article on the 40th anniversary of Kind of Blue, a book agent approached me and said, can you take this one article and develop it into, you know, and and, and so, um, you know, suddenly it was like a, a way of writing passionately about the music that I cared about um, in a manner that wasn't the usual format of of a biography on one artist or uh, looking at a scene or a time period or whatever, which was really the only two ways that jazz,
0: or taking the taking the whole um, you know uh, body of work that a particular musician had done, and then yeah, looking right. at over time and parsing the the various songs or well, whatever. Well, uh, the the this basic
1: was... thing is cradle to grave yeah. or the full catalog. So here you decided
0: it. to focus on these forty eight hours, right? Essentially, when that when yes. that album was created, yes
1: so it would Which be it, it would itself. be both a deep dive into the music itself and what was actually transpiring through that you know uh, i mean it's re- kind of blue is really only about 40 minutes worth of music mm-hmm. you know uh, so what what's happening in the music itself what happened in the studio on that uh, those two days that came out of two sessions and then also what was going on in the scene at the time what fed into that music and made it possible, and also Miles' own career at the time. And then the record company, and then the studio in which it was recorded, you know. So I came at it in a bunch of different uh, perspectives, and it it, uh, took off. I mean, it, it, there was a whole bunch of album focused books that came in, you know, I don't want to say that I'm responsible for that whole wave, but I, but I happen to be there Mm -hmm. at the swell of that wave, you know, I'll take credit for that, that, you know, I, I came in early, but, um, the idea of also, you know, once I took, That kind of focus and that approach and then applied it to John Coltrane and Love Supreme, which was a story absolutely waiting to be written about with that kind of focus, then it was necessary to really tackle the spiritual aspect of the music too, and understand. The, the why of music making to understand, well, what is John Coltrane talking about when he says a love supreme? What is this message he's trying to convey that he writes about in the letter to the listener on the mm-hmm. cover mm-hmm. Uh, in the poem called a love supreme, mm-hmm. which turns out to be a kind of. Um, hymnal through which he speaks the words of the poem through his saxophone on the final part yeah. of A Love Supreme called Psalm, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and ever since then, and that was around 2001, I started writing the book right after The Towers came down. It was a really weird moment then as well, you know, almost 20 years ago now, yeah. you know, of, of uh,
0: social trauma, had there know. been other candidates in your mind after you did The Kind of Blue, uh, other candidates? In, yeah, in, I
1: was thinking about applying Coltrane. it to to one or two other albums that uh, were not necessarily jazz, but kind of representational of the time period that they were in. And when I think about the 1970s, when I was in high school, um, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run is, was seminal, was very pivotal, it represented this uh, this kind of um, high point of singer songwriterism, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, at that point in 1975, I also thought about um, uh, you know Stevie Wonder's uh, you know Songs in the Key of Life, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of the most amazing albums to date, with one of the Worst album covers I've ever seen, <laughs> you know. Um, and then uh, you grow to love it, though. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, you everything you know becomes part and parcel,
0: right. you know, of of that experience. Um, but also, you've you've had a career writing liner notes as well, right? That's been part of your career.
1: Uh, at, at that point, yes, I'd, I'd, I'd found the exit ramp off the road. Mm-hmm. I wasn't tour managing anymore, uh, so it was it was that time in my life. I was in my late thirties. And I said, you know, I'm going to go back to writing, and so. Uh, uh, but I just found that the more that I tackled questions like, the the spiritual musical connection, etc., the more that it kept leading me towards artists like John Coltrane. Mm-hmm. Naturally, mm-hmm. you know, right. And the John Coltrane books is why uh, Carlos. You know, he, he loved reading the books. Right. You know, and I, I found a way to kind of, I guess, balance it all out. Well, I thought
0: it was fascinating, again, uh, the fact that I was listening to this piece about this interview of McLaughlin by Dave Schroeder and the two experiences that he kept talking about, musical experiences for him that kind of blew his mind and changed his path were the two that you worked on, Kind of Blue and Coltrane's The Love Supreme. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm sure that's may, um, that may be the case for a lot of musicians, but they're, they're, these they, were they seminal. are
1: cultural touchstones. Mm-hmm. They are primers for artists who want to get involved with improvised music. They are Bibles for for people who do uh, live in that that overlap between spirituality, human connectivity, and musical expression, right. like like a John McLaughlin. You know, and we're mentioning John, and of course, his guru of choice was Sri Chimnoy out in Queens, Uh you know, and who he introduced to uh, Carlos. And that became Carlos's guru through most of the 70s. And and that relationship, of course, generated one of the most successful renditions of Love Supreme, which was the one that Carlos and John McLaughlin did together on... um, uh,
2: Love, Devotion, Surrender. Love, Devotion, Surrender. Surrender. Thank you.
1: On that album.
0: You are listening to WLIW-FM 88.3, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and tonight we've got the privilege of interviewing Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris.
2: And and John McLaughlin was really a connecting tissue for me from the world of rock and roll guitar playing, uh, which reached its heights for me in Hendrix and Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page... And I wanted to know, again, where that tree, how that tree spread. And John McLaughlin was the guitar player, and I was playing guitar, still play to this day, but I was working on becoming somewhat of of a knowledgeable guitar player. And John's music and his words in many interviews where he used spiritual language to describe the act of improvisation made perfect sense to me mm-hmm. at that point in my understanding about how music is made, not to mention that we we'll, i mean we don 't need to take this discussion into a into altered states of reality, but many of us back at a period in our lives exploring music, we did certain substances which kind of open up um, your understanding of the entire connectivity and creative process, uh, internally and externally.
0: Sure. I mean, and, look um, at the look at how the Beatles' music changed. Sure. As a result of their, you know, experience with psychedelia and with and weed you know, spir- as well. spiritual movements. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, marijuana was uh, was a direct influence on Rubber Soul, mm-hmm. and then more powerful drugs were were very influential on revolver and sergeant, sergeant peppers yeah and yeah. then when you add altered states of reality onto the level of the uh the musical power of uh are you experienced or electric ladyland
0: um was there is there a continuum um, Ashley and, uh, you, and, and Joel is there a continuum between what was happening in, in the late 50s uh, and into the early 60s in the jazz world and that and then what you know what the, and then the Beatles and introducing us into what you know, what the 60s brought I mean we're talking about uh, you know I'm fascinated kind of by uh, we know well the story of the 60s I guess that's what I'm trying to say but I, I personally don't know as well the story of the 50s and what was going on there in the, in the jazz world Um, Are there parallels or do you see it as one continuum or do you see it as as, as two different things that were flourishing, two separate? No, I think there's connectivity, but uh, yeah, I mean,
2: listen,
1: the, the river of music, you know, uh and the musical styles and the music family tree that Joel is talking about it just grows and flourishes and doesn't worry about what year it is and what 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 scene is popular or what styles or you know ha- are the trend at that moment everything connects and everything is available and especially now.
0: Well, we thank you very much for joining us on this first of two sessions. We're going to have a subsequent interview hopefully next week uh, that you can uh, rejoin us, hear the rest of, uh, of what we've heard from Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris on an interview that took place in October 2020. Both very interesting people in the music business and we thank them so much for their participation. We also thank other members of the of the Jam Session, uh, the producers of the Jam Session Radio Hour. We thank WLIW, uh, FM, uh, we thank Klaas Brandall, our musical director. We thank Rafael Alvarez for putting this together, and uh, we appreciate your staying with us. And we hope that you come back uh, next week or soon thereafter for more of the Jam Session Radio Hour. So stay, stay healthy, stay safe, and good night.